Hello and welcome to another episode of Startup Hustle Middle East. Today we've got Ritesh Salani over here with us. He is a founding partner at Enhance, which owns Joy Gifts. Uh, he's a co-CEO of uh, Joy Gifts, which is one of the largest gifting platforms in the Middle East. So we thought we'd talk to him today. He's also ex-VC, by the way. So we thought we'd get him to share some of his uh, interesting insights yeah. about starting a company in Dubai. Mm-hmm and also some of his experience of being a VC in the past. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Great. Um, so can we get started a little bit with your background and how you've gotten to being a founding partner at Enhance and the co-CEO of Joy Gifts? Sure. So, so this start is, at the beginning. This is, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so I was actually born and raised in Dubai, mm-hmm. as many of us have, uh, you know, we, we so back then, it was, of course, a very different city. Um, it was a bit smaller. We didn't have uh, the marina and the JLTs and yeah. so on. Yeah. Uh, downtown, where we are right now, didn't yeah. exist either. Didn't exist, yeah. um, so, and everyone kind of knew everyone, right? Yeah. Uh, from that, of course, has grown into the Dubai that we now live in, that the world knows, Expo 2020, the world's largest tower and so on. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so I love Dubai, and I, I moved back to Dubai after I went away to university in the US. I okay. studied finance and management at Warden okay. um, in Philadelphia. I uh, spent a few years in consulting in uh, New York with uh, Deloitte. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. doing a bit of technology consulting, a bit management consulting. Okay. And I figured if I'm going to do strategy and management consulting, I might as well go and get an MBA. So I went to INSEAD. Okay. And, and the goal behind that was to then go and do proper management consulting uh, okay. with one of the top three and so I ended up at Bain in Singapore okay. um, and, and I really enjoyed my years there and I advised all sorts of clients from the largest bank in Thailand mm-hmm. on cost cutting and, and new revenue streams to uh, the government of Singapore on what they should do with a plot of land which is now called Marina Bay oh, okay. with uh, the, wow. you know, the first casino license, uh, wow. gambling license being given away um, so I was part of a, a small team of five or six people that over five weeks um, came up with a recommendation for which of four bidders should get to build the first casino in the country on that plot of land. And so in and effect, really I, cool. it was. Yeah. And, and I look back and I can say that, you know, I was part of a team that helped change the skyline of the country. Yeah. Um, so that was a That's fun cool. project. Yeah. So not, now it's. And like by the way, I don't gamble at all. Which is ironic, so. <laughs> oh really? I thought that was the motive for I pushing wish. for that. I probably have done we a like better job. this bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. probably one of the most happening places in Singapore now, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, if you go to Singapore, you can't go to Singapore and not go to Marina Bay Sands. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, and especially with the infinity pool at top at the top and so on. So it's it's quite iconic, not just for the skyline, but also the the vantage point from the top of that building for okay. the rest of Singapore. Right. Okay. So uh, yeah. so from management consulting to being a startup. Okay. So yeah. Happened. So so that brings me back to me coming back to Dubai. So I missed home, mm-hmm. uh, even though it wasn't the same home that I grew up in, mm-hmm. and I missed. Uh, friends and family mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't feel like I, I felt like I didn't want to miss out on all the the craziness that was going on yeah here, the, the development growth, the massive growth. spurt yeah. exactly growth, so yeah. I moved back and I joined Nokia mm-hmm. back in its heyday uh, we had uh, so I, I was basically pre-iPhone 
Uh, it was actually pre-iPhone when I first joined. Okay. Um, we, we launched, I was tasked with uh, helping launch and, and, and distribute their high-end multimedia devices, okay. which at that time were quite innovative. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nokia okay. was always at the cutting edge, they just yeah. weren't necessarily the best at marketing the products like Apple might be, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we, we did actually do a great job marketing specific devices, mm-hmm. and uh, we were great at building up hype around certain features mm-hmm. in those devices okay. as well. Mm-hmm. So my, my baby, my first project was the Nokia N95. Okay. Oh, yeah. Which I remember the trendsetter. Exactly. There you go. So the fact that you guys I do though, because I no, follow he remembers technology that. I don't. Yeah. So, so I'm a marketing person. I, I should remember that. I think too. it was one of the first smartphone, uh, smart smartphones, right? It like was Symbian. one of the first. So the N series line yeah. was exactly mm-hmm. that. It was a smartphone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The N95 was kind of a path-breaking device in the sense that it had. GPS, five megapixel Carl Zeiss lens with a mm-hmm. dual slider with media keys and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it was, it, it was cutting edge for its time. Mm-hmm. Um, no other phone had a five megapixel camera. Definitely not mm-hmm. a Carl Zeiss lens and didn't have this dual slider with the GPS. And yeah. So it was the first time for a lot of things, right? Okay. So um, that was again my baby, and, and I basically helped get that out into 69 countries across the Middle East and Africa. Okay. Um, and that was then, then of course there were other devices after that as well. Mm-hmm. But I went from being a product manager to heading up strategy for the region. Okay. okay. Again, when it was... And the region was Middle East? Uh, so the strategy role was Middle East, North Africa. Okay. And uh, there, I mean, I did that for about a year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. We managed about $6 billion of revenue in wow. the region that I covered. And we had 88% market share in Saudi Arabia, which is, you know, unheard of in any industry in any part of the world, Mm. right? So we basically owned the market for all practical purposes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm quite proud of that. And then, um, you know, the way I like to tell the story is then I quit and then the company crashed. (laughs) Yes, it was all because the fish left. (laughs) Oh, now what are we going to do? Let's just close shop. We're done. So yeah, so that was... Uh, that so was you, you did get out of there at the best time. I did. I mean, I I loved Nokia as a brand. I mean, the brand has legacy. Even mm-hmm. today, people look back at Nokia and say, you know, they made iconic devices. Mm-hmm. For sure. They were in every hand. They were robust. No device mm-hmm. lasted as long as a Nokia would. For sure. Right? For sure. We actually had what what's called a 100-drop test whenever we... We're about to launch a new device. It would mm-hmm. literally go through a test where you drop it one hundred times, mm-hmm. and if it's still living, it passed. Okay. okay. If it didn't, if it stopped working at any point, it then it goes back to R and D, and they redesign it and so on. Mm-hmm. No, it was definitely durable yeah. and and Even reliable. The battery, the battery lasts forever, right? Yeah. Oh my God, no I love today. this thing, but uh, there you go. I have to replace it every two years and. <laughs> The battery sucks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and this, I mean, I don't know how some people might feel about me saying this, but the software is also quite robust when you weren't trying to do too much with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a phone... It was designed as a phone. Yeah. Primarily. There you go. So like, yeah. the, for example, the, the non-smart, the feature phones, we call them, mm-hmm. um, those you would, you would expect them to never have any problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Unlike today's smartphones and it's partly because we're trying to do so much with it the software is so complex yeah yeah right of course it's bound to break at some point and then you have to restart the phone and so on um but yeah those were those were different times right so anyway so you left nokia i left nokia partly because i kind of saw the writing on the wall and Mm -hmm. and uh 
I also I had my own frustrations about the way we used to market and distribute our products. We would announce them six to nine months in advance before they'd actually hit the market mm. and the competition would already know what we're about to come out with and they're quicker at coming up with something comparable okay. and it'd probably be cheaper as well mm. and so on. So we did it because we were great at supply chain and right. in order to be good at supply chain you need to be able to predict demand and so you would actually have to announce it in order to get orders and in you, from your customers. In order to be able to okay. prepare that much product. Exactly. Yeah. So in the process of course somebody kind of comes in ahead yeah. of you and, and undercuts you as well. So the, anyway, I had my own frustrations with that and, and at some point I said, you know, um, maybe it's a good opportunity to go try something else mm -hmm. as well. As much as I love Nokia, I love the people that I worked with, amazing people, very smart. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and it, was, it was great to have been there at the time that I was there. That to me was the opportunity to go try something different and I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Right. In yeah. fact, we have many entrepreneurs in my family, my okay. own dad, my uncles, you know, mm. every, everyone's been an entrepreneur at some point, right. a, lot of, a lot of them at least. And uh, Sorry, you're Sindhi, right? I am Sindhi. Yeah, so, so Sindhis have it. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. it's in our genes. Yeah. So our even when I went to business school, I mean, actually no, even when I went to undergrad, mm -hmm. I picked Wharton because I did want to do business, business yeah. and primarily be an entrepreneur more mm -hmm. than anything else. Right. I even in Siad, I feel it's like... It's definitely yeah. a great breeding ground for entrepreneurs. At least half of our class at some point goes and becomes an entrepreneur, starts a business of their own. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so for me, I knew at some point I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but at the same time, I wanted to get some experience yeah. before I took the plunge myself. Sure. Yeah. And so that, to me, uh, the, the, the best way to do that was to be a consultant mm -hmm. because you get to see a lot of different industries in hopefully many parts of the world, mm -hmm. solve lots of different problems make mistakes and learn from those mistakes but, but not have to pay for it right? so yeah. someone else's expense exactly yeah. so that's yeah. the beauty of being a consultant right yeah, yeah. Um, now I'd also like to think I didn't make as many mistakes <laughs> as most consultants would and our clients were quite happy with us okay yeah. right so uh, we will ring them up and find out <laughs> <laughs> sure go ahead <laughs> we definitely made less mistakes than their own teams would have okay, uh, okay. okay. So, that, so that's partly why they brought in consultants as mm. well right uh, but either way, um, so yeah, so the plan was always to be an entrepreneur at some point. And I felt at that point I had enough experience and I had some ideas that I felt passionate enough about mm -hmm. okay. such that it's a good time. And so I, I partnered up with a few friends of mine, mm -hmm. one of whom I went to business school with. Um, there's four of us, two in Paris, one in Tokyo, myself in Dubai, okay. and very distinct geographies, obviously. And we decided to launch uh, something called uh, Exa Partners, which was a cross-border business development operation. Okay. And, uh, and I'll explain about that as we basically yeah, advised. So we advised uh, clients on how to expand outside of their um, local market. Okay. So for example, um, we had Japanese clients who for you know, a variety of different reasons struggled outside of Japan, whether it's language, culture, um, you know, just insights. the networks and insights and so on. Mm -hmm. So we had on-the-ground support with knowledge of each of the markets that we were present in and that was valuable to our clients. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so we would advise them and at the same time we would also launch businesses of our own to take advantage of the fact that we had three groups of people in different geographies. Right. Okay. That's across board. I mean, both both parts of the business were across board in that sense. Mm. Yeah. So. Um, so essentially, we, we did this for uh, a year or two, and uh, we launched in the process 
um, a an e-commerce business selling authentic French lifestyle goods into Japan okay. online. Okay, that right? sounds really niche. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it turns out French lifestyle. Goods. lifestyle goods. So from France, we would we would identify suppliers that would mm -hmm. have products that the Japanese might want to buy mm -hmm. online. Yeah, and turns out it actually is a big business opportunity. Really? And it still uh, exists today. It still exists. Okay. Um, I, but are you a part of it? Right no. Now? So I stepped away from that business, and I also, while I helped set up that business in, in its early days, and, and helped set up another business where we were helping uh, traditional Japanese um, hotels, so to speak, mm -hmm. in uh, Kyoto called Ryokans, mm -hmm. okay. uh, that were very traditional in the way that they even took reservations mm. over fax essentially oh my right God. when they, was this, when was this this was in 2009/10 what wow. yeah. yeah and even in, even then yes so we brought them <laughs> online crazy. yeah and again i was involved in the early days of that business okay. and and at some point i just said to myself i want to do something that's more locally relevant to where you know i i kind of built something for this region right mm -hmm. um so that's when i decided to step away from that mm -hmm. and uh and started something called care zone and so what we're doing is we're empowering consumers to create change and good for causes that they care about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by shopping more intelligently at brands that care and want to give back okay right and so we're connecting these brands that care mm -hmm. with consumers that are passionate and willing to go out of their way Okay. to support these brands but more importantly support the causes, causes. that they care about yeah. Yeah. right and so we basically created this mobile loyalty platform for social good okay. Okay. called care zone okay. care zone care zone yes okay and so we went to retailers and we said hey um how about you give back a portion of your revenue from customers that i bring to you yeah mm -hmm. and they'll give it on to their favorite causes yeah. okay so this is fantastic great mm -hmm. okay right? and then i said how about we have you pay to bring customers into the store as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the first step. That's half mm -hmm. the battle won. Somebody in your store is worth a lot more than somebody who's not in your store. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, and they said, but what if they come and we pay them to come, but they don't buy anything? Mm -hmm. Right. I just paid them for nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, I actually brought you a customer. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't get him to buy anything. Yeah. You know, you know uh, there's a bit of a disconnect there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I said, either way, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll mm -hmm. find someone else to pay for that check-in. That's okay. sponsored mm -hmm. check-in. So I went and found uh, advertisers like HSBC was my first client. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they loved it. And they said, whenever somebody checks into one of your outlets in your network, let's have them see an ad from us for a personal loan. Okay. You know, right? And then they can click, you know, email me more information or they can dismiss it. Right. So you made it like an ad-based platform. Exactly. Yeah. So, so one angle was so we have advertisers to get to display their messages their products and services to really passionate consumers mm -hmm. that want to support brands that give back yeah. and are willing to go out of their way for that mm -hmm. um, so advertisers pay to bring retailers into the store mm -hmm. their store gets sorry advertisers pay to get customers, customers. Yeah. to yeah. come into the store yeah and and the customer the, the the store the retailer didn't have to pay for that mm -hmm. and if the customer buys something then then they, they, they pay points and yeah. so they they pay um the customer in the form of points to give back to their favorite causes mm -hmm. so half of those points we make you give them away to a good cause mm -hmm. and you get to decide which one and we had everything from you know, local uh, causes, a variety of them like 
Dubai Autism Center, Dubai Animal Rescue Center, Emirates okay. Marine Environmental Group, to regional ones like Palestine Children's Relief Fund, okay. helping okay. children who are victims of war, um, to international ones like United Nations World Food Program, mm-hmm. okay. feeding kids in Africa. Um, and so that's half of the points. The other half you can redeem for rewards, just like with any other loyalty program. Yeah. Or you can give those away as well, if you truly, that's why you're doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You feel passionately about these causes. So, so that's what we did. And, and essentially when I first uh, went to investors to ask for funding for this idea, mm-hmm. um, they said, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is this like? Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, it's like nothing in the world, anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would say, oh, come back to us when you find something that it's like. Okay. And oh so God. what I thought was a positive to them was a negative because they were quite risk averse. Yeah. And, and they were more, they liked investing in proven, uh, proven business models that has done well in the West mm-hmm. yeah. that somebody has invested in and it exited at some point. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so anyway, I said, you know what, forget it. I'll put my own savings into it, build mm-hmm. it from scratch. And once they have something they can touch and feel that is live, that customers are using, starts traction as revenue, yeah. then mm-hmm. they'll, they'll want to invest, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. I went and outsourced the development. I mm-hmm. eventually hired a team. I got these merchants on board, yeah. advertisers, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, we marketed it. And mm-hmm. in the first month with zero marketing spend, we had a thousand active users. Wow, and, that's uh, amazing. That, at a time when... We barely had iPhones. This yeah. is, we're talking 2011. Okay. okay. Barely had iPhones. Barely had um, the data, data plans. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, and so on. And yet, people clearly cared about these causes, and they were mm-hmm. willing to use the platform for it. So, um, so yeah. So I went back to them after mm-hmm. we launched, and I said, "Look, you know, how do you like the product? Mm-hmm. It's great, yeah. right?" And uh, we have a thousand active users, zero marketing spend. Imagine if you gave me money and I could spend on marketing. Yeah. How yeah. many customers we could get. Yeah. And uh, the very first pitch that I had okay. uh, was the most memorable. I'll never forget this. <laughs> okay. After a 45 minute monologue where I have all this passion for what I'm doing and I went on and on. And eventually when I was done, I turned to them and I say, so what do you think? Mm-hmm. And they say, this is fantastic. Did you build it here or in the valley? Mm-hmm. And I say, no, we built it right here. Mm-hmm. And they were very impressed with the quality. And uh, they said, this is great. Now, uh, we represent a group of angel investors mm-hmm. and, uh, we, and family offices and so on. Um, and, and they're investors themselves as well. And they said, I hope you'll appreciate that because you've already gone live mm-hmm. and you have burn. Mm-hmm. salaries and trade license and rent mm-hmm. that you can't just stop all of a sudden yeah. Yeah. right um, we are our investors and, and mm-hmm. us we find ourselves in a very favorable negotiating position mm-hmm. and uh, so you're essentially like a pregnant woman who is looking for a father for her baby oh my <laughs> god <laughs> that crazy. is insane <laughs> Yep. Yeah. That is crazy. crazy. Oh my god. So, uh, what do you say to something like that? I didn't know what to say. <laughs> Did they actually say those words? Those exact words. Damn. Oh my god. Uh, now, of course, their their intention was not to disrespect me or pregnant women, single yeah. pregnant women. Yeah. Um, but it was an analogy that was, I guess, in a really, you know, 
super crass. <laughs> a crude way, yeah. but true somewhat, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, now, they took it to the next level when they said, so you're looking for $500,000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, our, our, the people we represent have more negotiating power in this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're okay with taking $500,000 in exchange for 70% equity, mm-hmm. we can go back to them and discuss this. That yeah. is crazy. 70%. For the yeah. In the first round. Yeah. Exactly. It's crazy. So as you can imagine, that makes the cap table extremely toxic. Yeah. yeah. No other investor will ever invest in this company again because you've just killed the motivation of the founder. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 30% and is just not enough yeah. to stay motivated. In the first and, round. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you, you can't get, get future rounds, why raise this round? Also, yeah. yeah. I, I had half a mind to say to them at that point, Instead of five hundred thousand, why don't you give me six hundred thousand and take a hundred percent of the equity? Mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and then you go around the business, and we'll yeah. see how you like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they kind of missed the point of venture capital. Yeah, yeah. building a business that is meant to be high growth and meant to scale is not easy in most cases. Yeah, mm. it is an uphill battle, and yeah. that entrepreneur. Who, whose idea it was, who has all this passion for it, mm-hmm. has to be waking up every day and fighting that battle every day. Yeah. Yeah. And if you kill their motivation, yeah. you just killed your investment yeah. in the process. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What return can you expect on that then? Yeah. Right? So the odds are stacked against the entrepreneur. Don't make their lives more difficult and not yeah. worthwhile. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? Sure. So uh, anyway, so that was the, f- the first set of investors after I had a product. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned a lot from that experience. Yeah. <laughs> and and then I went to I, I I still tried and I went to many other investors and uh, many of them are very supportive. Mm-hmm. And uh, they basically uh, said again, you know, fantastic product this is amazing. You know, you have traction, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as you find yourself a lead investor, mm-hmm. let us know. We'd love to jump in. Yeah. Okay. Everybody oh, said no. that. Oh no. Nobody actually took the lead. Mm-hmm. So I was dead in the water. Right. So eventually, I uh, ran out of funds. Okay. You know, um, uh, all of my life savings. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so I had to lay off my team. Uh, it was kind of the perfect storm. So I had to shut down my business. Mm. I had no savings left, no income, no job, um, and, and no startup. And I also went through a divorce. Okay. Oh all god. in the exact same month. Damn. Well, so. if nothing else, I guess it. I mean, in hindsight, it probably teaches you tenacity in mm-hmm. some way. Or... I learned a lot about myself, <laughs> about what my capacity on all fronts is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Emotionally and psychologically. Yeah. And financially, of course, as well. Of course. And uh, but either way, it's like I look back at it as a, a learning experience. Yeah. You know? And I did learn a lot from all of those experiences, mm-hmm. which have served me well over the years. And I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't had those experiences. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess in a way, I'm glad I, I did. Yeah. And so. I think, I think anyway, uh, I mean, all the motivational talks about entrepreneurship and everything focus so much on failing and failing often. I'm an um, expert at failing. <laughs> <laughs> you, I think you have to be to be successful at some point, yeah. you know, so I wouldn't say you're an expert at failing. You had one venture which didn't pan out. But yes, it, it sounds pretty hectic, like a lot of time investment. Uh, no, again, money. look, again, there's nothing wrong with failing and there's this like, there's this, it's taboo yeah. To, yeah. to first to be an entrepreneur in this region and yeah. then, 
you know, you fail. I don't think it's taboo anymore. It's going away slowly it's, as we have more and more case studies and references yeah. of people who have gone through the struggle and then And because know. we've had exits as well exactly. and unicorns and everything. Yeah. Exactly. So. And now people know that this is the future, right? Yeah. High growth tech-based startups, right? Yeah. And, and it takes sacrifice to get there. Yeah. Right? So that's something that we're now sharing that story. And I've spoken at events about what failure is like and how it's completely acceptable and almost part of the journey to success. You cannot get success in in most cases without having gone through failure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so that was uh, my experience with uh, (laughs) Carousel. Now, uh, as an investor, I always tried to, even if I wasn't interested Mm -hmm. in the business or the founder Mm -hmm. uh, and what he was doing, I would still try to give some feedback mm-hmm. right. and make introductions for them to help them in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, just because I don't want to invest doesn't mean one doesn't mean that he's not going to succeed. Yeah, right. it just means maybe I didn't understand it, or maybe mm-hmm. I don't see the vision and I don't believe that this model is the right one. Mm-hmm. He might iterate and come to the right model eventually as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So, so that's that's one of the reasons why I mean I would try to help him. Maybe I'd help him iterate mm-hmm. and and tweak the model. Um, but then you still want to maintain a good relationship with them as well because some of them at some point will become more investable. Yeah. And at that point, I want them to come, come back, back to me. Yeah. Yeah. I want him to take my money. Yeah. Right? So, so you never want to have a bad... So you never want to, have, you never want to give a founder a bad experience from having mm-hmm. met you. Mm-hmm. Right. Word also gets around, by the way. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I know which investors to avoid in this ecosystem. Okay. Because I've heard from my friends. And you'll give you us should, notes later. You should give me a list. <laughs> by the way, I have to digress for a second. Sure. Because I don't know if you remember the first conversation we ever had. Because it was about feedback and everything as well. So it was at the first step conference, correct? It was at the first step conference yeah, that, that we met you. Yeah. Um, Actually, that's through right. Raj. Yes. Through Raj. Through Raj, Absolutely, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so Sid had an idea that he was working on at the time, um, which was similar to Mass Drop, which is Drop. which is in the US or something, right? Yeah. Um, and the idea was uh, community-based buying. So yeah. if you can get enough volume for a product, you can go and negotiate with the retailer and say, I'm going to get you a thousand users and stuff. Um, but you have to give users, me what, whatever. The, what, how, why does that matter? It's products. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> it does matter. <laughs> Sorry. It does matter. Yeah. So I'll get you a thousand buyers yeah. um, of your product at this discounted price. Yeah. And you shut it down. Did I? Yeah, but, yeah you did. Uh, but the but truth yeah, is that I'm you didn't get feedback. I'm glad I didn't do that. And yes, we're glad that we didn't explore that. Um, so you shut it down <laughs> first. Um, but then he did, he probed a little bit. I don't know. But you said, uh, I remember at the time, because I was a little bit surprised oh, by I'm it. sorry I was that dismissive. No, 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 no. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't dismissive, but... Um, but you said no, that it's not the time for community buying or community buying is getting old and it's all about personalized 
e-commerce solutions, you know, yeah, yeah. or something like that. I think you said something yeah, like. I'm not sure uh, I agree with what I said now, but <laughs> if I did something <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah, no. no, what you were saying is like uh, it sounds something close to like a Groupon kind of thing, which is uh, yeah, yeah. which is uh, you know not on an upward trend. Like well, Groupon so that was something. one. It also wasn't a sustainable model because you're attracting yeah. customers that are deal seekers, yeah. right? And they're not going to come back and buy at retail. Yeah. yeah. So for the B two C side, it's yeah. not relevant. B two B, there is an angle to play there, but the the margins are so low in B2B to start yeah. off with anyway yeah, yeah. that it wouldn't make sense, right? No, but in hindsight, no, it's but really it, good that we did not explore that, but, you know? But it uh. could be anything, right? Like, so the idea was like, uh, maybe you want to buy a Toyota Corolla, for yeah. example, yeah. and like, you have 10 people who want to buy a Toyota Corolla who meet on the yes. platform and then you go buy and then you get a volume price. You yes. say, okay, I'm yeah. buying 10 Corollas, so you give me you know, ten percent discount or whatever yeah. on, the, on the retail value of the car. Mm. But isn't that what a what a, a car distributor does? Yeah. So we would yeah. bypass a distributor. You're an extra layer. I mean, the distributor wouldn't want to deal with you because you're basically doing their job for them. But I'm giving them ten cars yeah. in one That's shop. That's what they care so, about, no? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like you're like a fleet buyer then in that. Yeah. Sense. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, the idea wasn't to do this. For cars, well, not for say, cars, but 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 a little bit like yeah. I think at the time we were considering like electronics. Yes. And so so it have, was you, have you seen Massdrop? No. Mm-hmm. So so Massdrop is um, like a platform where you as a user can say I want to buy this thing, and then people can vote and say I also want to buy this thing, yeah. and then once you have enough of people well, voting yeah. for then a particular item, yeah, then you go to the distributor and say okay yeah. I have a bunch of people who want to buy this thing. Yeah. You know, if you're interested in giving a volume discount, then we have a, a ready base of buyers. Yeah. Look, I think no, the model listen, makes the, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In theory, it makes great yeah, sense. But yeah. it'd be a huge upward, uh, uphill climb. Climb. And also, like, even though we were considering that business and then I I was looking at mass drop and stuff, it wasn't even me who was concerned. You were talking to uh, Abhishek about it. Yeah. But I was looking at mass drop, but I was not inclined to be part of the mass drop community. So... Even if people are deal seekers, the the whole thing is that you have to go and recruit your friends and get them to vote and you need to use your social channels. I don't know how much people want to advertise that they're deal seekers Yeah, well, that's in one. this market as well. Second, I might have also misunderstood because to me, Groupon is mm-hmm. a model where each sale that that supplier or vendor merchant gets mm-hmm. yeah. They're not actually making money. Yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah. digging into their marketing budget yeah. to subsidize the loss. Yes. Mm. To pay for the loss that they make yeah. on each unit that they sell. Yes. Yeah. In the hopes that that customer comes back and buys Again. the retail. Yeah. Yes. What you're doing is slightly different in the sense that you're basically a wholesaler. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yes. You're a wholesale yeah. buyer. Yes. Yeah. I'm a wholesale buyer and With passing guaranteed. on the benefit of that cost to the consumer. So theoretically, yeah. here, the supplier actually does make still makes money mm. on each of those units that they sell. Yes. Mm. But then the discount isn't deep enough to make the it. Discount I mean, there is a discount. The fact that there is a discount yeah. is great. It's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And it depends on what item it's for, right? It could yeah. be a hot item, right? Like it could be something like iPhone 10 yeah, doesn't yeah. get discounted or yeah. you know, 10S yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But like if I buy 10 of them, maybe I'll get a 10% discount on it mm. or a 5% or a 1% percent because the yeah. are only 4%. Yeah. 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 I believe it was one of the first times we were talking. It we were kind of wetting an idea. So yeah. this, 
this is what I wanted to say, right? So, at the end of the day, there is a difference between, you know, somebody who's at the idea stage and somebody who's already started spending their own money and putting yeah. their life, yes. put their job for something. Completely, and so on. completely. So there's a bit, there's a different level of sensitivity involved there. Of course, well. sure. of course, hundred percent. So I, I, I will say this myself. I am a little more dismissive of ideas because everyone has an idea. Yeah. That's one. Plus, I'd like to think I'm also doing you a favor by steering you away from something that might not necessarily be as attractive as something else that you could possibly come up with, sure. right? Yeah. yeah. And the whole point of, you know, that stage of the life cycle of a business is mm. for you to be challenged. Yeah. yeah. For you to brainstorm how you could make this better, more attractive, mm. or tweak it, or focus on something entirely different. Yeah. yeah. And coddling is the last thing you need at that stage yeah, yeah. right yeah. now again doesn't necessarily mean no. one has to be dismissive or harsh yeah but you but, um, will have an ideas shot down that say in fact yeah. you better come up with 10 ideas and be prepared to have at least eight or nine of them shot, shot down, down. Yeah. yeah for sure right? for sure so no but like today when when a founder who is in the idea stage comes to me and asks me for the idea, I'll be brutally honest at the idea stage. Yeah. Because mm. they haven't invested anything, no time, no effort, yeah. no money. Yeah. So might as well give them my absolutely 100% honest, honest opinion. That's true. That's true. You do do that. Because <laughs> yeah, otherwise they're going to say to themselves, you know, I haven't met a single person who is dead against this idea. Yeah. Must be, I must be onto something, yeah. right? Yeah, I must Otherwise, I would have, like, gotten more resistance. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. They're kind of lukewarm to it. That means there's something there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 fair enough. And so. I think a lot of, uh, like, uh, idea stage founders completely disregard the operations sides of things. You know, like, they don't... Yeah. They don't know how much it... It's uh, how much uh, back end is involved in yeah. executing on something. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so, so, so then yeah. I, I shut down. I, I took some time to kind of recover from the, the journey that I'd been on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the very challenging journey. And I, uh, I wanted to buy myself some time to figure out what I wanted to do next. Okay. okay. So during that time, I did some independent consulting. Mm-hmm. I uh, worked with Mohammed Alabar's private office directly okay. with uh, his son. Oh, uh, they okay. were looking cool. into they were looking into a specific type of model uh, in the equity crowdfunding space. Okay. okay. Uh, and I had some experience with that, where it was one of the ideas that I was looking into myself. Crowdfunding equity. Equity crowdfunding, yes. Okay. So, so I think somebody's doing that, right? That, I mean, Eureka's doing it. That's Eureka. probably the ones okay. that, right. that have done best so far in this region. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, it still hasn't taken off, in my opinion, in a big way. It's not. Yeah. It's not mass market enough yet. So it's yeah. not. Um, it's not like a, a crowdfunded platform. Right, it's equity. Equity. So, oh, yeah. so as a business, instead of going or in addition to going to VCs you raise or angel investors, I also yeah. put it on this platform, and anybody can come and put a hundred dollars and get a piece of my business. Okay. Okay. So uh, I, that was one of the ideas I'd looked into. Kind before of like taking your company semi-public, right? Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Uh, and so there, there is regulation around this as well. Okay. To okay. protect the public from being swindled. Right. right? Yeah. And uh, and so in this industry, this region specifically, if you're going to be targeting all these different countries and not one massive country like in the US yeah. and each country has its own regulation, regulation yeah. regulatory framework uh, yeah. or some don't even have regulation around what we wanted to do mm. and you could get shut down overnight yeah. okay. at any point yeah. yeah, there is a little uncertainty and a lot of risk 
Yeah, right? I think it's one of the challenges in this region. Yeah. This, it's a big region in terms of population, but so many different rules, governments. Very disparate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like it's hard to do business cross borders, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so uh, I worked with them for a few months, you know, mm. vetting this, this model and, and figuring out, you know, whether there's a big opportunity there or not and how mm. feasible it was to attack it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I recommended that uh, we not look at that. Okay. further uh, invest more time because again there is massive risk yeah you know, regulatory risk yeah mm-hmm. and so and so many fragmented markets and yeah so yeah so anyway so that, in fact funny enough the equity crowdfunding idea was something i looked into before i started care zone okay. okay and so was uh b2b group buying Okay. okay. No way. That's partly why I, I was very quick to, <laughs> to dismiss it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I had actually looked into it myself, and I decided against it because it wasn't as feasible as, yeah. uh, okay. as many others. The so same thing happened to me. Uh, like we were doing this equity room recently, and there were a couple of founders who wanted to do. Which is like a shark tank. It's like a shark tank platform that the, like uh, somebody started over here, and uh, so they had one company that wants to do game swapping. So like, you know, um, I have a game that you want and we exchange it sure. and they facilitate it. And I had thought of this cause I'm a big gamer. So I, I had thought of this like five or six years ago and I had even built it cause I'm a developer too. So I had built it out and then I just realized that it was, you know, the money wasn't really there in exchange. And also the, you know, it's going more and more digital. So, yeah. so I was selling them, I was like, listen, I, I, you know, people I, aren't yeah. buying physical games <laughs> anymore. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You can't exchange. I mean, the truth games. is that Swapo doesn't just want to be about games. They want to start with games, but yeah, you could already give them insights. Yeah, but their, and their, but their first product was games. They wanted to launch as a game games, sharing platform yeah. and then expand into other things. So yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, so then after yeah, so, you so, consulted with yeah. With so after them. that, I, I happened to meet um, through a common friend. He was launching in Saudi, which okay. he needed some help with. It was mm-hmm. in the device protection space. Okay. okay. So you pay a subscription fee every month, and uh, if anything happens to your phone, mm-hmm. uh, we either repair it within twenty four hours or we replace it. So okay. like a like warranty release or insurance okay. for your phone yeah. exactly. And you can do this up to twice a year, so and so on. Okay. So um, we worked with uh, one of the telcos. I was basically helping them build that business in Saudi Arabia okay. with this SCC and, and you know uh, train their customer service and help mm-hmm. set up their CRM system and so on. Mm-hmm. So basically operations. I was an interim, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of acting COO okay. uh, for that new business that they were setting up. And I helped them for about six months. Okay. And and then I got I got an opportunity. To go be a VC myself. Okay. And so uh, we decided that while we're parting now, we're parting ways now, mm-hmm. we should come back together at some point and do something together because okay. we had such a great working relationship and we okay. saw eye to eye and similar wavelength mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. same vision in turn and, and also loved you know, technology, mm-hmm. and we also got along well outside of work. Okay, we're, we're great. Very yeah, you need that in a founder, exactly. yeah, in a co-founder. So, so, and that's very hard to find. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that's why we said it's and somewhere. And you have the advantage of having previously worked exactly. with each other. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's hard so, to do as well. Yes. <laughs> so, so you know what to expect, and you know how well you work together. Yeah. Right. So. 
I went off to be a VC then. Basically, a, a friend of mine from university called and said, hey, what are you doing these days? We've set up a, a fund. It's now been running for a few years, mm -hmm. headquartered in Jordan, called Aimina. Okay. And we, wanna, we want somebody to set up a UAE office for us and run that. Okay. Program. And so that's what I went and did. And I figured this is my opportunity to show the VC world how it's really done. Ah, <laughs> right? take After that. Had, had take that. So yeah. I went over to the, to the dark side. Okay. Ah. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, actually, that was also a learning experience, right? Mm -hmm. But me having been a founder before that also helped me. It served me quite well. Mm -hmm. So I then basically uh, came here. I mean, well, I was already here. Mm -hmm. I set up the UA office. For the VC. For Amina. Okay. Yeah. Right? It was a regional fund headquartered in Jordan. Okay. I set up the UA office and ran that for uh, about a year and a half or so. Okay. Our, our biggest investor in the fund, it was more of an, it was an operating company technically. Mm -hmm. Okay. And our investors, um, they were investors on the balance sheet essentially. Mm -hmm. So our biggest investor was Etisalat. Okay. Which uh, had uh, basically, yeah, they, they, they had a significant chunk of the business. Okay. okay. And I had had some telco experience in the past, mm -hmm. okay. and so I was also there. The, we had two people from Etisalat on our board, okay. the senior members of Etisalat's team on Amina's board, mm -hmm. and I was their point of contact okay. uh, day to day. And so anyway, so I helped build a pipeline of new uh, investment opportunities for Amina. Okay. I helped manage their portfolio companies and, and help them with business development, for example. Mm -hmm. their strategy and cut deals with with other players in the marketplace okay so um i did that for a year and a half okay and then i said you know i want to go back and, and do something for myself <laughs> again yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, to, well, to start off with actually i said to myself i want to launch a fund of my own okay. to target early stage you know seed stage okay. startups right so okay. a 10 million dollar fund Mm. 250k tickets to 50k 500k mm. and uh, so you wanted to be like 500 startups or something no the 500 uh, does smaller ticket sizes right they, they do smaller yes okay um, but they also do a lot more investments mm -hmm. than yeah. they would have done so yeah. my fund was much smaller than they mm. would have uh, but yeah that was the plan so I wanted to, to launch a fund of my own because I saw a massive gap in the earlier stage yeah. of the life cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still is. Now there's a much bigger gap later stage as well. Now that we have more Series A and mm -hmm. potentially even Series B funded businesses, you know, Series B, C, D are big yeah. problem in this region to find funding for. Yeah. And so almost everybody who raises funding, definitely for Series C, but even Series B, has to go outside, outside. the region yeah. to get money. Okay. Right? We only have a handful of decent VCs at that level with mm -hmm. that big a fund, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That are that active yeah. in terms of deal flow. Yeah. So, um, so, so that was the plan. I, I wanted to focus on the earlier stage, and that's also yeah. where I get to contribute more significantly and yeah. set the strategy yeah. Yeah. the future of that company, mm -hmm. right? Having been a founder, that I can add value there. Yeah. yeah. Now, raising money from <laughs> LPs was a whole different story okay. and quite a challenge. What's LP? Uh, limited partners. Okay. So a fund has GPs and LPs. GPs okay. are general partners okay. who do this day in and day out. Okay. They manage the funds. They first raise the money, then mm. they manage it, and then they deploy it. Okay. Right? okay. And they help exit at some point and give the money back to the LPs. Okay. The LPs are the limited partners okay. who give the money give the to the fund in the first yeah. place. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. 
So, yeah, so dealing with LPs, convincing them to invest in an early stage fund, yeah. which will take even longer to pay back yeah. than a later yeah. stage fund would. You know, uh, this so what do you stage. have to go to LPs with? Like, I'll take this much money from you and I'll turn it into this by this much time? Something that, to that effect, exactly. Yes, they look for a return on their money. Okay. Um, in and a certain amount of time. I'm guessing which sector you're So you have to have a thesis okay. right, as a GP that okay. is raising money from LPs. My thesis was, you know, Middle East, early stage yeah. tech. And that to specific sectors within tech as well, e commerce yeah. is one of them, mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, and so on, platform plays, mm -hmm. marketing focused, and, and so on. There's a few different you know, angles there. Okay. Uh, and it wasn't developed enough mm -hmm. by the time I decided that maybe this isn't worth my while right now. Partly also because you know, uh, funds have a 2 by 20 structure, so you basically pay yourself. Um, so 2% management fees okay. and 20% carry, right? So that's I, the I economics. So, so if you raise, you know, 100 million, okay. right? 2% uh, of that is what you pay yourself to run that fund. Okay. Every or year. how much per year? Okay. Okay. Per year. Yeah. Okay. Per exactly. And, and what is the carry? 20% carry is essentially whatever money you make on top of the money that you took from the VC, yeah. which you pay back. Yeah. So all the money on top, you get 20% of that. Your profit. Okay, so so yeah. so if you took 1 million and that turned into 5 million, from the 4 million you keep 20%. Uh, yes. yes. Yeah, okay. okay. And you'd also pay yourself 2% 2 of... 20,000 on a minute? No, 200,000. 200,000. 20, so on a million, if you raise a million, yeah. Yeah. then yes, you pay yourself Twenty thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Do you manage? Yeah, okay. Right, so if you raise ten. That's not very. How is so that is very about, exciting? No, but if you raise a hundred million, then you're paying yourself two million dollars. But you're not. But you you're wanted to be You're also using the money million. to run the business. Yeah. Right. It's a fund that still needs to. You have salaries to pay rent. Yeah. You have yeah. All the you services. Pay. You market yourself. You travel. Yeah. conferences. All this adds yeah, up, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And then there's the actual, you know, investment. You pay lawyers and you pay bankers. And yeah. So so. Uh, all the funds are counting on the how many ever X they're going to make out uh, exactly. of the investment because this 2% is nothing. That's exactly it. So on the I mean, it's million, not nothing, but Sure, it's, but it's not enough to have a decent lifestyle. It's not to cover sure, right? yeah. So $10 million fund, which is what I was raising, which you would raise for early stage investments, yeah. uh, would only have given me $200,000 a year. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was used to making right okay. after business school more or less yeah. okay. for myself to keep yeah. for myself right. Yeah. Yeah. right not to spend in your business yeah. yeah so there was nothing left at the end of the day for me if even that right there yeah. to run the business with to start off with the expenses not. aside from the fact that lps weren't interested in lbc so that was a separate well, issue altogether yeah, yeah. so eventually i just said you know again this is not worth my while mm -hmm. yeah. not right now get out early i know now to get out early <laughs> yeah well that's yeah. that's true yeah so uh, what you'll also find is a lot of early stage investors that have that level of that that kind of fund that mm -hmm. size of fund uh first of all have other income streams Okay. Right. That's like an ex existing business, for example, or they've exited in the past, and so they've made their money, and they don't need to rely on um, management fees from the fund okay. to sustain themselves. Okay. They're just right. excited to be part of. Or they they, or they they see the upside potential from the carry, yeah. Yeah. and they'll make that money. But yeah. for that five to ten years, yeah. they're yeah. not going to make that money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, like investing in startup, like early stage means you're waiting for at least 
seven years, six years for exit usually. Yeah. In this region, even longer. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, soup, for example, I don't know the exact number, but it was at least 10 years. Yeah, more, yeah. More, no, more. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it's more. Yeah. So I think it was 13 years, if I'm not mistaken. But okay. either way, it's a long time. Yeah. Even six or seven is a long time. Yeah, to go yeah, with yeah. No, no income, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, at that point, I just said, you know, okay, this is not what I want to do. So the interview was running a little long, so we decided to split it up into two episodes. So tune in next week to find out more about Joy, how they raised over $2 million and their journey on growing the company to what it is today. If you're watching us on YouTube, then please hit the subscribe button, leave us a comment, give us a like, it really helps us out. If you're listening to us on Anchor, uh, Anchor is an app where you can download and listen to the podcast, but what's really cool is that you can also leave us a voice note. We'll try and include your voice notes in the next episode of the podcast so please give that a shot and if you're listening to us on itunes then please leave us a review it really helps us out a five-star review would be absolutely awesome anyway guys Mamta's not around so i'm just going to sign off today we'll see you guys in the next one and keep on hustling bye